Time for us to move ahead into the midday, and that means, well, oddly enough, a program called Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and I'm Dirk Christensen. We have information for you from soup to nuts and everything in between in the middle, and we're going to uh, go on over to Bryce Diskett to find out what's going on in the Ag Department today, Bryce. That's right. Big lineup coming up here. Justine Wood, whose uncle passed away in August, will be discussing how a community came together to help them finish up with their soybean harvest. That's up in the northeast corner of the state, so I talked with her for the 1219 feature. The newsmaker, rather, Shaley, will be talking with Cindy Cunningham with the National Pork Board talking about their 2018 Pig Farmers of Tomorrow program that they just opened up applications for. Then at 117, Chabella will be with Kathy Anderson, Nebraska FSA Program Chief, talking about ARC PLC payments that are being sent out right now. Bryce, it sounds like you're uh, right next to me, and I want to point out to folks that uh, we have been talking a little bit about the new innovation on Innovation Campus, and you're talking to us from Lincoln, Nebraska today. It sounds like you're right across, like like I could almost smell the onions on your sandwich. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good comeback, Potsy. All right, here we uh, move ahead here. You stay right there, Bryce. Uh, We've got Jason Jorgensen on sports. A little bit of everything to talk about coming up in sports. Talk some Husker volleyball. Coach John Cook just held his weekly press conference. They are right in the middle of the Big Ten season. Huskers are right there, tied for the lead in the Big Ten. Of course, they have some big matches coming up. Nice to know. Yep, but now on football, that's another thing. It's a whole different deal. The Huskers had the week off. Coach Riley will have his upcoming weekly press conference, which starts in about five minutes. We'll let you hear what he had to say. Nebraska, believe it or not. Now, the line may have moved a little bit this morning. Of course, this is for entertainment purposes only. Nebraska was a six-and-a-half-point underdog at Purdue. Mm-hmm. That's just crazy to think about. And keep in mind, this is a Purdue team that lost to Rutgers this weekend. But still, the folks... Entertainment purposes only. Well, of course. <laughs> making Purdue almost a seven-point favorite over the Big Red. Well. If that doesn't show you where things are at right now. Well, I'm thinking that, you know, the, the recent news that Nebraska, all in all, from a national standpoint, cannot be looking good. That's right. And the last time we saw the Huskers, they certainly struggled against Ohio State. Buckeyes with a huge game coming up on Saturday as they'll try to knock off second-ranked Penn State. Also, the World Series gets rolling tomorrow night. And the two teams have set their pitching lineups. We'll let you know what that's supposed to look like. Of course, the Astros and Dodgers played forever. They were in the same division before the Astros switched. So a lot of people, this seems like a National League Championship Series rather than the World Series. Yeah, it does. Okay. Thanks, Jason. We'll look forward to it. And uh, over here on the business desk, of course, is Bob Brogan. Wall Street indexes are dipping at midday, and uh, U.S. stocks a little bit lower as industrial companies stumble and healthcare firms move up. Elsewhere, President Trump has uh, put his stamp on this. He says there will be no change to tax incentives for 401k contributions. And he wants to make that perfectly clear, uh, responding to a recent report in the New York Times. Also, uh, Aetna has unloaded uh, Group Life, uh, a Group Life uh, company. So those are some of the things that we're keeping an eye on. All of that and more on today's Midday. 
Paul Perkins joins us now with a look at ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. And uh, I'll tell you what, someone really let the door open on this wind. Yeah, that north door is wide open right now. Lots of wind right now, and wind's starting to gust up near 40 miles per hour thanks to the passage of the cold front. It is kicking up still a little bit of light rain over northeast Kansas into the southeast corner of Nebraska towards Fall City down to near Manhattan. Also a few light sprinkles from about Atwood in northwest Kansas towards the Hill City area. But all of that activity gradually sliding to the south along with the cloud cover associated with that front moving through today. It really is moving those clouds out of here pretty quick. Though, yeah, the good high pressure uh, pushing in behind this and helping to clear the skies out. Uh, temperatures today slightly cooler with that front. And, of course, northwest winds very strong behind this cold front. Winds today, the strongest from late this morning through the middle part of the afternoon. That's when we're going to see these wind gusting up to around 45. Extreme fire danger in place today, especially if you're along in southwest of a line from Elwood to Alma and Osborne. I know last week when we were out doing our fallen lines, a lot of dust getting kicked up uh, on the roads with these dry conditions. Despite having about three to four inches of rain in the early part of the month, we do have uh, extreme fire danger once again over extreme south central Nebraska and north central Kansas. Near critical fire danger elsewhere. Avoid using any open flame for today. Winds will quiet down to a breezy level for tonight, but then they'll kick back in tomorrow with the strong northwest wind. And that's going to make it even chillier with some even cooler air as temperatures tomorrow only reach the 50s to the low 60s. And winds once again expected to gust up near 40. Wednesday looks to be our nice day, the warmest, with temperatures about 10 degrees warmer than normal. We'll be in between systems as a westerly wind takes hold. Then that'll set up a big shock when a Canadian cold front drops south for Wednesday night into Thursday morning. Even colder air with this system. Thursday will be very chilly with wind gusts up to around 45. A widespread hard freeze is expected Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights as temperatures fall into the 20s. So I'd say the growing season is going to come to a definite end. By Friday morning, feels like temperatures are likely to be 50 degrees colder than what we experienced Wednesday afternoon. And one forecast model by Friday night is suggesting that we could see lows in the teens for areas around Lexington and Ord. And that cold weather expected through the weekend with the passage of another front. Big changes in the long-term forecast. Earlier we were anticipating above normal temperatures until the first part of November. Not the case. Temperatures forecast to be now mostly cooler than normal in Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the first five days of November. Those temperatures, though, a little closer to seasonal in the later periods. The likelihood, though, still remains high that there will be below normal precipitation in Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through November 5th. Last week, we told you about the National Weather Service forecast for the winter months in Nebraska and Kansas. Of us probably seeing near normal to above normal temperatures and near normal precipitation. Well, another outlook is out from a private source, DTN. Their weather forecast a bit different. They're calling for a large portion of the north, central, and northeast U.S. to have more cold periods due to the influence of the polar vortex and La Nina. That could mean even colder temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas than the Weather Service outlook for the winter months of December, January, and February. Key weather factors in the market include wet conditions disrupting the harvest and a slowly building rain prospect in central Brazil in the next five days. 
Only light precipitation expected from the Pacific coast to the plains that could total a half an inch or less. This week begins with near to above normal temperatures nationwide, but much cooler air invading the central and eastern U.S. during the mid to late week. By the end of the week, freezes could occur as far south as northern Texas and the mid-south. Moderate to heavy rain in eastern Midwestern areas is causing notable disruption in their harvest. The drying later in the week could be slowed by the much colder air. Good harvest progress continues in the northern plains with their dry conditions, but colder temperatures and some snow are forecast late in the week, but not expecting it to significantly interrupt their harvest. There will be rain delays for a time in harvest for the southeast U.S. and Delta. The moisture, though, helping out the winter wheat. There is beneficial rain in central Brazil right now, but the rain likely not enough to end the concerns for dryness. Wet weather in southern Brazil slowing down their fieldwork and planting. Ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. So I guess what you're saying, if you're betting the temperature spread between Wednesday and Thursday, for entertainment purposes only, as Jason always points out, you better pick a high number. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Very chilly by uh, Friday morning because uh, the secondary push of cold air. If you think it's cooler now with these winds, uh, just wait till Thursday and Friday. No. <laughs> I'd rather not. Exactly. Me uh, neither. Not okay. looking forward to it. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. For weather anytime, krbn.com. The U.S. pork industry is seeking 2018 pick farmers of tomorrow. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a check of your midday ag news. The National Pork Board is searching for the next pick farmers of tomorrow with applications open now for the industry award. And Cindy Cunningham with the National Pork Board talks about the program. We are very excited to be in our second year with the pig farmers of tomorrow program. And we are in search of the new class of pig farmers of tomorrow. More information is available at pigfarmersoftomorrow.com. This award really recognizes those young pork producers, young pig farmers from ages 18 to 29 who intend to make pig farming their career and are very committed to the U.S. pork industry and and raising pigs using those We Care ethical principles. Again, applications are being accepted now through November 21st, and you can head on over to Pig Farmers of Tomorrow to check out the program and apply. In other ag news, Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Corker, a Republican from Tennessee, late last week launched a campaign to make changes to U.S. food aid programs in the next farm bill, but we groups defended the current system of sending American commodities to needy countries. Corker's ability to influence food aid is limited, however, because most food aid is under the jurisdiction of agriculture committees. At a session at the American Enterprise Institute and a hearing Thursday, Corker called for a shift from mostly sending U.S. commodities abroad to a system of cash transfers so that food can be purchased near the areas where it is needed. He also called for an end to the cargo preference law that requires 50% of U.S. food aid be shipped on American vessels with American merchant mariners and of monetization programs under which humanitarian groups sell some food products in the recipient countries to raise funds for operations. 
Getting rid of these utterly ridiculous requirements would free up more than $300 million in U.S. tax money that could feed 9.5 million more people each year, Corker said in the hearing. However, later in that same day, the National Association of Wheat Growers and U.S. Wheat Associates, which promote the sale of U.S. wheat, defended the programs, referring to Corker's statement that farmers do not care about U.S. in-kind food aid. Ron Supis, a Dighton, Kansas wheat farmer, said, I don't know what farmers Senator Corker is talking to because I can assure you wheat farmers care a lot about in-kind food aid. In 2016, U.S. government donations of milling wheat that helped feed food insecure populations or were monetized by NGOs to fund local food security projects reached a level that would be equal to a top 10 export market, he said. Supas noted that the Philippines and Taiwan had once received in-kind food aid but are now major importers of U.S. wheat and other foods. And ranchers in September drove 13.5% more cattle into U.S. feedlots than the same month a year earlier. The U.S. Department of Agriculture reported on Friday with their cattle on feed report. The result topped analysts' average forecast and hit its highest level for the month in six years. The good news for the consumer is we've got record supplies of beef and pork going into the fourth quarter. And when we get into the spring grilling season, we're going to have big supplies still, said U.S. Commodities President Don Roos. Some cattle ranchers and feedlots or cattle feeders rushed livestock to market last month while capitalizing on affordable feed, said analysts. And prices for animals at that time appeared to reach a seasonal fall low. That's a quick check of your midday ag news. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network, sold to packing plants. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. Decatur, Nebraska farmer Joe Penny died in a collision with a deer while he was riding his motorcycle in late August. Last week, members of the community and his family arranged to harvest 600 acres of his soybeans. There were 10 combines, around 20 trucks, and five grain carts that came together from the local farmers. Today we're talking with Justine Wood, Joe Penny's niece, who was involved with organizing the event that happened last week. Justine, thank you so much for joining me. First, let's give us a little background of what happened and uh, led to the organizing of this event. Yeah, he got into an accident on his motorcycle late August and um, hit a deer and died um, a few farmers said that they were about done with some of their beans before they started moving, and they're like, well, let's see if we can orchestrate it, and we got it all ready in a few days, in a matter of days, and we had um, tons of people there, and we got it all done within six hours. How many acres did you get done within that time frame? Um well, we, my dad, my brother, and I went down the day before to open up the field and to cut out for pivots, so nobody had any issues or we could just all go. So we cut out about 80 acres the day before, but there were 635 acres in the fields right there. So we got it all done in six hours. What was the view like with, uh, with that many combines and people coming to help out? What did it look like from your perspective? very dusty <laughs> but um it was really neat to see i was in one of the auger wagons so it was very neat to see all the combines coming together what do you think uh joe would have said if he saw the site there he would have enjoyed seeing everybody and um just he would have been um overwhelmed with all everybody that showed up that day 
It really is kind of a small community coming around and helping some people out in their time of need. What What's your message to the people that came out there and assisted? It was very. We're very thankful for everybody that came out and assisted because we know that they stopped all of their process on all of their beans and everything to come and help the family and get it done for us so we didn't have to worry about it. And it just was very overwhelming how how much people, you know, they didn't need much time notice to get it done. And they were there within a day or within hours, you know, of us calling. Anything else that you want to you want to mention that we haven't talked about? Um, yeah, CVA, um, where we hauled all the beans to, they supplied all the food for everybody that came to the field and helped out. And they just brought down a cooker and cooked it all there for us. And they said that we'll be back for corn wherever you need us, whenever you need us. So that was that was very appreciative of them coming oh, and having everything available so nobody had to stop and you know for lunch or anything we just kind of grabbed it and went and he got 600 plus acres knocked out in one day that's pretty impressive yeah 635 within six hours so yeah it was very very impressive very just a lot of dust but very cool to see Justine, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this story about your uncle and the event that happened last week. And this story is really what small towns in Nebraska and rural America is all about, uh, of a story of coming together help those in need. And so I appreciate you coming on and talking with us about that, Justine. If you'd like to see some of the pictures and a video about this event, you can log on to RuralRadio.com. Reporting, I'm Bryce Duskit. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, halfway through the conference schedule, the Nebraska volleyball team is in the thick of the race in the Big Ten standings. The Huskers are 16-4 and overall, 9-1 and in conference action. Head coach John Cook says the Huskers are now ready for the stretch run. Hey, we, we're going for it. And uh, um, attacking everything that we do, and we're not protecting anything, and uh, we, we just know, you know, it's 10 more huge matches, and there's not only for us, but for everybody. I mean, there's going to be some epic matches down the stretch here, so it's going to be fun. I mean, this is what Big Ten's all about. This week, the Huskers play at Michigan State on Friday night. They'll have a Sunday match against Michigan. James Palmer Jr. had a game-high 17 points as Nebraska built a 23-point lead and held on down the stretch. To post a 76-72 win over Mississippi State yesterday afternoon in exhibition action, Palmer, a newcomer who sat out last year after transferring from Miami, hit five of six shots from the floor, including a pair of three-pointers, as Nebraska won its 14th straight exhibition game. Kansas and Missouri finally got back together on the basketball court, teaming up to raise money for hurricane relief. Devontae Graham scored 25 points in the Jayhawks' 93-87 win. Well, Game 1 of the Best of Seven World Series between the Astros and Dodgers begins tomorrow night. Now, the Astros and Dodgers have played more than 700 times, more than any pair of teams to ever meet in the World Series. In fact, they played so often, some fans say this seems more like an NL Championship Series than a World Series. In the NFL, Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott will play at least one more game before another ruling from a federal judge on his six-game suspension over domestic violence allegations. A district judge today turned down the NFL's request for an expedited hearing on a preliminary injunction. She set one for October 30th, the day after the Cowboys visit Washington. 
A restraining order granted last week cleared Elliott to play in yesterday's 40-10 to win at San Francisco. Last year's NFL rushing leader had a career-best 219 yards from scrimmage, including a season-high 147 yards rushing. And four former Shadron State College wrestlers have pleaded not guilty to charges of hazing and assault. Court records say the four entered the pleas Friday at Dawes County Court. A judge set their pretrial hearing for mid-December. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clear skies in the forecast for Nebraska tonight with lows in the 40s in the east to the mid-30s in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. The tax reform plan supported by the Trump administration could have some fairly significant implications for Nebraska's tax collections and budget, but state officials say it's too early to know specifically what the changes might mean. Open Sky Policy Institute Executive Director Renee Fry says some in the middle class could see a tax cut at the federal level only to see a tax increase at the state level. Particularly when we look at um, eliminating a lot of the itemized deductions which are on the table right now. So you can itemize for medical expenses, you can itemize for state and local taxes. Any of those items, if they are, if they are removed, um, that's where it will more likely raise taxes on the middle class Despite the uncertainty, Governor Pete Ricketts said he has confidence the state could adjust to tax policy changes. He noted that state spending growth has slowed under his administration and said Congress should do more to reduce taxes. A man has died after being struck by a train in Columbus. Police were sent to the scene a little after noon on Saturday. The man's name hasn't been released. An autopsy was scheduled. A single-vehicle rollover accident occurred Sunday afternoon on 37 Road, just north of the I Road in Franklin County. The Franklin County Sheriff's Office reports a driver was flown to CHI Health Good Samaritan in Kearney by air care with multiple unknown injuries. The driver was ejected from the vehicle. Besides the Franklin County Sheriff's Office, responders to the scene were Campbell Ambulance, Upland First Responders and Fire Department, and the Webster County Sheriff's Office. The Kansas ag community has been divided over a decision by the Trump administration to block new livestock rules from taking effect. A division of the U.S. Department of Agriculture had proposed the rules that were scheduled to go into effect Thursday. The new rules were intended to protect poultry producers from unfair commercial practices by food processing giants like Tyson Foods. A large downtown entertainment venue in Lawrence, Kansas is ramping up security in the wake of recent fatal shootings nearby. All people attending events at Liberty Hall must now pass by handheld metal detectors to enter. The venue already prohibited guns, large bags and purses. Three people were killed and two others injured on October 1st near Liberty Hall. Trusted charities are accepting donations for hurricane disaster relief. Do your part using our links at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. The U.S. pork industry is looking for a couple of pig farmers. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and I visit today here with Cindy Cunningham with the National Pork Board. And Cindy, you guys are looking for 2018 pig farmers. Now, this is a fairly new adventure you guys have going with the National Pork Board. Just jump in and tell us a little bit about it. 
We are very excited to be in our second year with the Pig Farmers of Tomorrow program. And we are in search of the new class of Pig Farmers of Tomorrow. The applications for this uh, are open now through November 21st. More information is available at pigfarmersoftomorrow.com. Um, this award really recognizes those young pork producers, young pig farmers from ages 18 to 29 who intend to make pig farming their career and are very committed to the U.S. pork industry and, and raising pigs using those We Care ethical principles. All right, and you mentioned this is in its second year, so like I, I said, kind of new, but talk about that first year and what those experiences were like. We had three pig farmers of tomorrow for the 2016-2017 class, and these young pork producers were just an inspiration, I think, to all of us. Really, the program is designed to, um, to help the pig farmer, but also to utilize their talents over social media and maybe some of those other ways to connect with consumers that young folks can connect better than those who have been in the industry for a long time. So we were able to uh, to use social media through the hashtag Real Pig Farming campaign. We were able to to really get them to share their story in so many platforms. And really, there are folks outside of our industry and outside of agriculture that just aren't familiar with how pigs are raised today. And the Pork Checkoff is working very diligently to try to help those folks understand what we do with modern pork production each and every day on the farm. And what better way to share that than with these young pork producers and their experiences on their farm and their passion for what they do. Well, and we know these pig farmers are hard-working ladies and gentlemen, and so what does that schedule look like for them? If they happen to apply and get selected, what does that schedule look like for them? What are some of the big things they'll be doing? Well, the schedule is really flexible, and it depends on what area, what platform, social media, or or what have you that they are most comfortable with. And basically what we do is is give uh, give the award winners a lot of training if they're not already familiar with uh, social media so that they can go out and share that story uh, both to to our other producers as well as to those outside of the industry. It's very, uh, very exciting and very fun for our our pork producers to also see these young folks coming, kind of the next generation, if you will, coming up behind them uh, with the passion and the energy and the knowledge and the enthusiasm uh, that they have already for the industry as well. And there are a few uh, things that they have to do ahead of time or have to do to be eligible for this. And there's a little bit of an application process, nothing scary, actually kind of fun it looks like. So tell us about what applying looks like. The application process actually is a lot of fun. Uh, we will be awarding up to three uh, recipients of the Pig Farmers of Tomorrow Award. And then those winners will be invited to speak at the National Pork Board, many of our events like World Pork Expo, um, also Pork Forum, which is the, the business meeting of the industry, and that's in March 2018 in Kansas City. Um, they'll also be providing content to, as I mentioned, the social media programs, hashtag real pig farming. Um, applicants that are interested in applying need to be actively involved in raising pigs in the United States, so they must be raising at least one pig in the United States on a full or part-time basis, uh, be between the ages of 18 and 29 as of January 1st, and students 
who are out there and interested in this are encouraged to enroll as well um, as long as they're involved in their college program and, and meet the requirement of raising pigs. They also need to complete that common swine industry audit uh, or we will help them have one on their farm because these are real pork producers. They may be young, but they need to, to be meeting the same requirements as, uh, as other pork producers are across the country. And we'll take care of any expense that uh, goes along with that. As they submit um, their application, then they need to send us five photos that represent them as a pig farmer of tomorrow. And then that selection committee will name up to eight finalists, up to eight semi-finalists, and then those folks will be interviewed through a judging panel um, with three winners chosen based on all the materials that they have put forth. It really is exciting to see what these young pig farmers bring to the table and how they, how they are representing our industry today. All right, and so for the important part, where do they go to do all of this? Where do they find a lot of this information if they're interested? Pigfarmersoftomorrow.com is the link for all the information and the application process uh, for, for young pig farmers 18 to 29 who are seeking to be the next pig farmers of tomorrow. Right, very exciting. Thank you so much. It's Cindy Cunningham with the National Pork Board talking to us about their 2018 Pig Farmers of Tomorrow. That is open now through November 21st. And for more information on that, you can visit pigfarmersoftomorrow.com or ruralradio.com. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. As we're back on the Rural Radio Network, we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Well, we did have a pretty much an up-and-down day in these uh, cattle futures, especially feeder cattle, but we end the day kind of quiet. Yeah, we did. Uh, you know, we had a report on Friday, a cattle on feed report, that was termed as bearish, but uh, maybe it wasn't so bearish uh, because we came back to a close mixed in the uh, live cattle with the uh, April, the December through uh, June higher on the day, the rest of the uh, contracts lower. But uh, nothing of any great consequence after opening sharply lower. So uh, the uh, cutouts at noon a little bit lower but uh, on the choice, but uh, didn't seem to have much of an effect on, uh, on the market at all. So uh, uh, interesting day, very choppy. Over in the feeders, though, only one to uh, close unchanged was the nearby October. The rest of them all lower. I think that had a lot to do with the uh, with the corn uh, sharp rally, uh, one of its sharper rallies in months, uh, and I think that kind of held things back. But we're well off our lows in uh, all the cattle. Over in the hogs, there's where uh, things kind of got uh, a little bit more interesting. The uh, hogs came under some pressure. Uh, uh, particularly in the front end here, and uh, uh, we had an outside down day in the December contract. Uh, despite the fact that cash seemed to be uh, uh, pretty steady, uh, at least early in the uh, day, and the uh, uh, index uh, now is a premium. The uh, future. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at eight hundred three two eight zero one three four at Great Plains Commodities. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman.
The USDA Nebraska Farm Service Agency, FSA, Program Director Kathy Anderson says approximately 85,000 Nebraska farms enrolled in safety net programs established by the 2014 Farm Bill will receive financial assistance for the 2016 crop year. The programs known as Agriculture Risk Coverage, ARC, and Price Loss Coverage, PLC, are designed to protect against unexpected drops in crop prices or revenues due to market downturns. We all know that our commodity prices are... Uh, much lower than they have been in previous years, and that's really put a strain on our producers with the input costs that they have. And so um, these safety net payments are really extremely important, I think, to our Nebraska farming operations and really nationwide. So our counties are really working hard to get, get those payments out to producers as quickly as they can. Producers in 93 Nebraska counties have experienced a significant drop in prices or revenues below the benchmark established by the ARC or PLC programs and will receive payments totaling $638 million. Payments related to corn, soybeans, grain sorghum, and wheat crops made up much of those payments. There are also payments for less predominant crops such as dry peas and barley. Anderson says producers do need to remember there is a sequestration on the payments. As far as producers receiving their Full payment, uh, they do need to realize that payments are reduced by a 6.8% sequestration rate, and that was put into place by the 2011 Budget Control Act. So um, those payments are subject to that sequestration rate. Um, also, for some producers, there is that, that reach a payment limitation. They need to understand that there is a limit of $125,000. And that's part of the Farm Bill legislation. And so in some cases, producers could be limited due to that payment limitation that's in place. But what about the producers who have faced crop damage from weather and other natural disasters? Anderson says at this time, there is no exceptions for those from the sequestration. The payment limitations that are in place are part of the the, the statute, the Farm Bill law. And so there's uh, no specific exceptions um, that I'm aware of at this time. Um, you know, that could be a possibility, but as far as I'm aware, I don't believe that there's been anything put into place currently um, that would provide an exception for those situations as far as those payment limitations are concerned. Anderson does say the $638 million Nebraska is receiving is also somewhat comparable to previous year's payments. Right now, based on the current payment rates that we're seeing under both of the ARC program and the PLC program, um, that's at a level of somewhat of w- what we've expected. Um, and as I said, we'll continue to process payment over, payments over the next few weeks. Uh, we would encourage producers, if they haven't received payments in their bank account by the end of October, to contact their county office uh, just to ensure that there's nothing else that needed to be completed for them to be eligible for those payments. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see how that um, goes over the next couple of weeks. But we are at a level that is somewhat where we expected to be based on the rates that we have. We've been talking with USDA Nebraska Farm Service Agency Program Director Kathy Anderson on the ARC and PLC payments coming out this month. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Right, we had a direct turnaround from the lower prices on Friday. Wheat led the way. 
are the charts signaling that we should be doing something like this? Well, yeah, I, I think the, the fact that that low held, there's a nice range that's developed 355 on the upside in December, and then 343, 344. The more those hold, the more confidence the market will get to, to trade those ranges, and it feels to me like they're going to hold. I think, you know, there's some optimism here. I like to see the markets trade like this, especially given that some of the outside markets have really shot up. Um, but... I'm, I'm skeptical that we're going to see a big follow-through number here. Uh, November options expire on Friday. You have, you know, I mean, a, a price that's not going to excite anybody, but, you know, we get a couple of cents higher here. Those folks looking at selling in March are going to be, you know, close to 20 or 30 cents higher than where the December was a couple of days ago. So I think, you know, folks looking out the curve, this is your opportunity for the March, uh, you know, maybe not March, but there's some Jan options out there that I wouldn't mind selling, getting some sort of position out there to try to, target your grain for, for year end. Um, I just am not optimistic this thing's going to get a ton of follow-through once the short covering ends. And in the minds of the traders, it's time to maybe take profits on some of these gains. Well, yeah, if you have them. I mean, it's, we're right where we were a, year, a week ago. You know, I think it can, it can be very myopic when you watch this stuff trade every day and you're like, well, we're up seven cents today. It's like, well, we were off five on the close Friday, you know, after trading essentially within an arm's reach of 350 for the last two weeks. So essentially, I think what, what happened, and we saw it in a market like co uh, cotton as well, where the options expired at the end of the week, shorter dated options for corn expired, everybody got taken into the money, and now the market turns around the other way, and all those folks who got put into the trade are now taking the trade off, which it adds to some buying pressure here. I just don't think that the board really needs the rally. Um, just for fundamental reasons. If there's something on the outside, certainly you could see it, you know, inflation or something along those lines. But, you know, as we, we talk here, we'll focus on March March delivery. That, this is your opportunity here. March trading just below 370. You know, that thing trades up another dime. You really need to look at, at, at trying to maybe HTA or lock in some, something up at these levels. I just don't think, um, you know, based off the game plan a year ago, we're going to see some sort of price push to $4 on the March. Did you notice as well they had a bigger trading range in corn than they did in soybeans? I wonder when the last time that happened. <laughs> it would be a while, that's for sure. And, and I think the beans are poised to go tomorrow. Um, you know, November delivery approaching, you're seeing those spreads widen out. I think we need to get through that before we start uh, lagging higher. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Remember to go to danielsagmarketing.com for more information. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.